All right. Thank you, Jerry. Well, we're starting a new series today that we're calling Going Deeper with God. And so I want to ask you that question. Do you want to go deeper with him? And I, I think that's a legitimate question, because anytime you talk about going deeper in any relationship uh, is going to necessitate some change in your life. And so kind of simultaneous to that question, do you want to go deeper with God? It's also, are you willing to have your life changed? Because you can't draw nearer, have more significant connection with God, going deeper with him without it profoundly impacting you and changing you. So just to make sure that you're asking the question, do you want to go deeper with him? Because that's what these next four weeks are going to be about, both in our Sunday gatherings and in our small group gatherings through the week, where we will be talking with one another and praying with one another and, and walking and living with one another in a way that God willing, we'll be going deeper with him. And the, the starting point for that, the launching point for that, of course, would be then we've got to get to know God better. Who in the, who in the world, who in the universe is God? And, of course, uh, the Bible has a lot of revelation for us to tell us about who God is and what God is like. And one of the primary words that get at who God is, is the word holy. Uh, we've just been talking about it all morning. We've been singing about it all morning. We've been thinking about that. Uh, uh, Jerry's helped us to kind of contemplate it in a little bit different way. Because as much as you know about God, as much acquaintance as you have with God, if you don't have a grasp of God being holy then there is this vast, you know, Grand Canyon size amount of what you don't comprehend about God. But what are we talking about when we talk about holy? Uh, you know, if we were to do a man on the street interview, uh, probably a vast majority would make holy synonymous with purity. And there is that connotation in the Bible where holy refers to that which is pure, that which is without blemish and spot and without any kind of contamination whatsoever. But that is a secondary meaning to the word holy. The primary meaning to the word holy is to separate. The old ancient word literally means to cut and separate. And when we speak of that uh, in regard to God... It's also the idea of not only being separate, but transcendent, above, higher. And so when we talk about God being holy, we think about him being separate from and above the rest of us. Almost to the point that he's alien, almost to the point that he's unknowable. And that, in fact, is the case. He would absolutely be unknowable, except for the fact he condescends and he allows us to know him. Now, when we start talking about holy, 
with respect to God and with respect to people, we have to keep this in mind. We're not making a moral reference. We're not talking about uh, behaviors and how we act and things like that. But we're talking about that which has been consecrated to God. So God is holy and transcendent. He is totally separated unto himself from everything else. And he chooses to consecrate certain things and people so that they likewise are separated to himself. And so sometimes you'll read in the Bible about holy bread. That's bread that's been consecrated, set aside, set apart for God. You'll read about holy places, holy buildings, holy people, a holy nation. All these have been separated from the normal, the mundane, everything else around it unto God because he is holy and he will only have to do with that which is holy. Let me also hasten to point out that this is way more than a descriptor of God. You know, the Bible has this long list of adjectives and descriptors to say, you know, God is like this. God is like that. This is way more than that. This is like the uh, the uh, encompassing essence of who he is so that uh, anything associated with him becomes holy, such as his holy spirit. He is loving and so he has holy love. He is full of grace and mercy. He has holy grace, holy mercy. He redeems and saves. It's a holy salvation that separates unto him. So it's way more than uh, a descriptor. And this recognition of holiness, when, when men and women through the ages have come to recognize, you know what? I'm in the presence of God. I'm in the presence of the things of God. It would stir, it would instill this awe, fullness. You go, I always thought about awful meaning kind of dreadful and terrible. You know, it also has that connotation. So like the old hymn, were you there at the cross where they crucified my Lord? Sometimes it causes me to tremble, tremble. Tremble. His holiness is so full of awe that it can be fearsome. It can cause us to tremble. Now, here's the interesting thing. Sometimes God makes his presence manifest so that it's obvious to anyone that he is in the room, he is in the house. And there is this widespread kind of awe, fullness. And then sometimes his presence is clear to just a few, to those who have eyes of faith, to those who have tuned and turned their heart toward him. And so here's a a bit of reality. God has seen fit to join us this morning. He is in the house with us right now. And the question before us is, do you get that or not? Are you full of awe? Is there a reverence and a respect 
that, you know, just the mention of some of the phrases that we just used in the songs, stir your heart, break your heart, uh, stir your emotions, because the Holy One is with us. Isaiah was one of those who got it on the holiness of God. He didn't always get it. He had one particular day that he was especially introduced to it. Now, if you know a little bit about Isaiah, you know that he was a prophet. And he was a prophet 800 years before the time of Jesus. So way back there. And uh, whereas uh, uh, a lot of prophets... Uh, sometimes were impressed by God about things that were down the road, kind of in the future, uh, sometimes even about the coming of the Messiah. Isaiah, especially so. Isaiah is a major prophet. He's written one of the largest books in the Bible. And in the book of Isaiah, there are more references to the coming of Christ, to the foretelling of the Messiah's coming into this world than anywhere else in the Bible. How is it that Isaiah was able and blessed to be able to see these kinds of things and, and to share these kinds of things in his writings? Uh, it could be connected to how much he got the holiness of God. Now, Isaiah was a little bit different from some of the other prophets in that most of the other prophets were pretty humble in background. That is to say, they were peasant type, farmer type, shepherd type people. Isaiah came from a family of nobility. He came from a family of means. He came from a family that socialized with royalty. Isaiah was actually a personal friend to the king of Israel, Uzziah. And it was in the year that Uzziah died that God called Isaiah to be a prophet. You say, well, how does somebody become a prophet? God calls them. God taps him and says, you, I want you to be my prophet. We're going to open the text in chapter 6, and we're going to read a little bit about that, because this is the story of Isaiah's call by God to be a prophet. And in the midst of that call, he encounters the holiness of God in such a way that he's overwhelmed. Have you ever been overwhelmed by the presence of God. Look with me in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died. Now, let's pause there. We got a real running start, didn't we? Why in the world were we told it was in the year that King Uzziah died? That would be an ancient way of giving a date to something, but it's more than that. This is to show some of the significance of what's already going on in the life of Isaiah and in the life of his people. Uzziah had been a good king. Israel had not had a lot of good kings. And Uzziah was one of them. And he had been king for 52 years. Since the age of 16, he had been king. Now think about that. 52 years. Now we've had a lot of presidents rulers, leaders of our country in the last 52 years, right? I mean, just to go backwards, you'd have Obama, Bush the second, Clinton, Bush the first, and Reagan, 
and then Carter, and then Ford, then Nixon. Some of you have no clue. And uh, then we're back to Johnson and Kennedy and Eisenhower. That's how long we're talking about Uzziah having reigned and reigned well, having been a good king. And so his death, his passing, was a national tragedy. And it, was a, it stirred a national unrest. Because the one who had been sovereign, if you will, over our nation is now no more. And so one speculates, why did uh, Isaiah go to the temple at this particular moment? And one would speculate, it's because he was trying to deal with his grief. And he was turning to the Lord about this sense of loss and the sense of uncertainty that was going on in his own life. So, verse 1, so it was in the year that King Uzziah died. Isaiah says, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple and above him stood the seraphim that's angelic beings each had six wings and with two he covered his face and with two he covered his feet with two he flew and one called to another and said holy 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 is the lord of hosts the whole earth is full of his glory that you didn't know all morning we've been singing angelic choruses about God. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me. For I am lost. I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Let's pause there. You know, one of the, one of the questions that I have that I, want, I, won't, I will not have answered until I go to heaven someday is how many people in the house got it that day? Now, Isaiah says... I saw the Lord. His train was filling the temple. The angelic seraphim were singing all these songs. Smoke was filling. And I'm just wondering, did everybody in the house see that? Did everybody in the house get that? Or did just Isaiah alone see and get that? And I suspect Isaiah alone got it that day. Because you see, it was a normal practice within the place of the temple that there would be sacrifices being burned up on an altar unto God that would make the billowing smoke that signaled the presence of God was in the house. That was normal to everybody. Anytime you'd walk in the temple, you'd see the smoke. And it wasn't an extraordinary thing like, gee, what happened today? It happened every time they walked in. And Isaiah said, even the thresholds were shaking. Well... Did the whole building rock or was Isaiah shaken and trembling in the presence of God? I tend to think that Isaiah was having this experience by himself as he was encountering the presence of God and especially the holiness of God. Now, notice in verse one, when uh, he says, when he makes reference to the Lord. Now, if you're looking at that in your version of the Bible, 
uh, it probably is spelled with a capital L and then lowercase O-R-D. And if you look on down to verse 3 and you start seeing the word Lord again, there you will see it all in caps, L-O-R-D, all in caps. And that is not just a printing anomaly or mistake, but that is a intentional uh, effort on the part of editors to allow us to know two different Hebrew words were being used in the translation of this passage. In verse 1, Lord with the lowercase letters is a translation of the word Adonai. Adonai is not a name. Adonai is a title. It means the sovereign one. The spelling of Lord with all caps, L-O-R-D, all caps, is a translation of the name of God that we sometimes call Yahweh or Jehovah. It's the name that God gave to Moses at the burning bush as a matter of disclosure so that we could know him better. So what we have happening here is the use of a title and a name in reference to God. And in the the wake of this national crisis where our sovereign has died, Isaiah walks into the temple and he says, oh, no, no, no. The sovereign one, Yahweh, is very much alive. The sovereign one, Yahweh, is high and lifted up and on the throne. Now, it's interesting that when he begins to catch hold of the angelic chorus that's going on, does anything ever happen like that to you? I mean, you just have this sense that in the invisible world all around you, the choruses of praises and honor and, and worship are, are happening. And so Isaiah kind of gets tuned into that, and he, he has this sense of what's going on in the unseen world with the heavenlies and, and with the angelic beings, and they do this triple use of the word holy. Now, in Hebrew thinking, that was the way that you made a superlative. We have good, better, best to get to superlatives. They would just uh, amplify the word and use it twice or three times. And so to use it three times was to amplify the otherworldly, transcendent holiness that is God. Holy, holy, holy. Now, it's kind of an interesting thing that... uh, When you start talking about getting to see God and to see these things of God, this was a concept that was endeared to Hebrew thinking and to Hebrew people. They they wanted to see God. They wanted to be able to draw near to him. They wanted to be able to hear these things that I'm describing to you. And the fact of the matter is, it was a uh, a rare kind of thing. It only happened a couple of times. Now, this this heartbeat, this desire was to the extent that a regular benediction or spoken blessing to the people of God in the gathering of the people of God was, uh, as you see in Leviticus 6, 24 through 26, I use benediction to you during our service. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Would he manifest himself? Would he allow me to behold his glory? Would he allow me to see him? And the Old Testament answer to that is, No, not really. I mean, you have to go from Isaiah back to Moses 
for another kind of close encounter of that type. Right. You remember, uh, and Jerry was reading some of those passages a moment ago where Moses had gone up on the mountain to meet with God. And God was later going to give him those commandments on tablets to take back to the people. But as he's up there meeting with God, he asked God, can I see you? And God says, Moses, nobody can see me. It would kill them if they saw me. My glory is so magnificent. You couldn't stand it to see me. But here's what we'll do. I'm going to cover your eyes and I'm going to move by you. And uh, I'll then remove my hand from your eyes and I'll let you see the backside of God and his glory. Now, I don't even know what that means. Right? I don't, have, I don't have a clue what that means. All I know is that God moved past Moses and Moses was able to see some after fumes of the holy God going by him. And it turned his hair white and caused his face to glow to such an extent he scared everybody when they saw him. Can you imagine? But you fast forward. And God so condescends, he incarnates himself and he allows us to see him in the face of Jesus. And the promise for every follower of Jesus is that someday when time and life is no more, we stand before him and we see him what face to face. That's the promise. And we'll all be in the superlative at that point. Holy, 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 holy. But notice, blessing is not the only thing that will happen at that last day. There will also be curses. And in Revelation chapter 8, verse 13, we're given a triple curse. Where in the coming of Christ and where many of his followers will be, you know, struck with his holiness and his greatness and the worship of him and the uh, glorification of their own lives and bodies. Jesus said there will be another whole segment of the human population. Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. A triple use of woe. Because it'll be the worst condemnation and the worst judgment to ever befall humankind. Now, that's getting way ahead. We're going to move way back to Isaiah now. So Isaiah is in the temple and the smoke is billowing around him. He has this intense sense of God's presence and God's holiness. It's as if he can hear the angelic beings singing the angelic chorus of holy, holy, holy. Notice they have wings that they cover their eyes with because they can't look at God either. And in the middle of all that, Isaiah says, woe is me. And he pronounces a curse on himself. Now, let me remind us, we're not talking about behavior here at all. 
Okay, we're talking about something way more substantive that we're talking about whether an individual is holy or not separated to God or not. And when when uh, Isaiah is in this presence of God with such intensity and such awareness of his holiness, it is starkly apparent to him how unholy he is. And so he even speaks a curse on himself. Woe to me. The literal rendering is because I am undone. It's a picture of seams that have come undone on a garment. Disintegrate is another word to translate that. Now, of course, the opposite of disintegrate is to integrate. Integration means that we bring it together. There's wholeness. There's oneness. It's the same word from which we get integrity. Now, if there was ever a man who had integrity at this time, 800 years before Jesus, it's Isaiah. He is morally superior to everyone else around him at that time. He is a man of great integrity as you measure that among men. But Isaiah is not measuring his life in that moment among men. He's looking at the holy God and he says, I'm undone. I'm so undone. For I am a man of unclean lips. Now, is that not fascinating? Not, I'm a man of unclean hands. I have done so many wrong things. Not, I'm a man of unclean thoughts. I've had so many sinful thoughts. No, I'm a man of unclean lips. And for those of you that have just gone through all the Matthew stuff with me over these last few weeks, that should ring a bell to you. Because it was Jesus who taught us. It's the mouth, it's the tongue that reveals what's in the heart, what's in the character, what's in the life. Bad trees produce bad fruit. Good trees produce good fruit. It cannot be any other way. And if you have bad fruit, take it back, you've got a bad tree. If you have bad stuff coming out of your mouth, Take it back to a corrupt heart, a, a depraved, broken, messed up heart. And Isaiah gets all this in the moment. And he goes, I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live in, a, in the midst of a people of unclean lips. We're all undone. Woe, woe are we. Now, the rest of that story is that God is very gracious to him and does a cleansing thing on his life. We're going to pick that up next week and talk about that next week. But here's what I want you to get from today. When Isaiah truly saw God, then Isaiah truly saw himself. And we're going to answer more fully next week, who are you? As today we've talked about who is God. But who are you? Who are you that would have relationship with God? Who are you that would draw near to the transcendently holy one? And when Isaiah got a full glimpse, a full look at God, he got a full glimpse and a full look at himself. And it stirred a repentance and cleansing process in him 
that changed him for the rest of his life and has served as a picture to us about things that God might be up to with, with us. A.W. Tozer said it this way, What comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Here's the most important thing about you. What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of God? It's a huge revelation of who you are and what you're becoming. If your first thoughts, your first impressions, your first ideas about God are God and His holiness, God and His transcendence, God and His majesty, God and His greatness, then that says a lot about you. If it's not that, then that says a lot about you. Now, remember, we're not talking about behavior here. We're not talking about, you know, you're a pretty good person, you do a lot of good things and all that kind of stuff. We're, not ta- we're talking about holy. We're talking about how separated we are from the claws of culture and unto God and in the hand of God. And we'll get into the rest of it next week. Isaiah had a good story. I love the story of Isaiah. It's a story of God pursuing him. It's a story of Isaiah responding to God's pursuit. It's a story of God's touching Isaiah and transforming Isaiah and Isaiah becoming a man that God dreamed Isaiah would be at his conception, before his conception. And here's the good news, friends. The author has a good story on the storyboard already for you. And the question before the house and before us across these four weeks is, will we lean into and will we respond to the script the author is writing and cooperate with that storyline? Or are we going to Are we going to run our own storyline? Are we going to write our own book? Are we going to have our own way? You go, well, Scott, give me a little more. What's what's in the rest of the story? I don't know. That's a little bit about what these next four weeks are about. That's a little bit about what's going to happen in your small groups. And that's why we're encouraging you so strongly to get involved in a small group over these next few weeks. Because... We are confident that God's going to meet in these small groups with you in such a way that some of this begins to get unpacked. And it begins to make sense. And God's going to put some legitimate choices before you so that you can lean into the story. But here's reality, friends. Most people live a bad story. Because they're the author. And he is the masterpiece writer. And the invitation to us over these weeks is to lean into his authorship, get together in some of these small groups for the readings of what's on the storyboard, 
and begin to get more of a clue of what he's up to with us. I wonder how this is sounding to you. How does this hit you? And I, I mean that more than rhetorically. I, I need to hear from a couple of us. Randy, would you say something about how this hits you? I know you didn't think I was coming over here. How's, how, what's all this saying to you? How does that grab you? Well, I think um, as I've been sort of prayerful about this series coming up, I'm kind of examining my own heart and how seriously or not I take um, the working of God in and around my life. And so I'm looking forward to having a sort of more intensified period of time where I can um, try to get my arms around that better. Thank you. Appreciate you letting me put you on the spot. I'll settle that up with you later. <laughs> and you too, Phil. <laughs> well, how's all this hit you? I think it challenges me to look at my relationship with God and question whether I see Him the way He is or whether I see Him the way I want to see Him. I think it also challenges me about my story. Is it my story or is it his story? And are those things the same or different? Thank you. Before I come to pick on you, somebody else you want to share? How's, how's this hitting you right now? What are you thinking? How are you feeling about all this? All right? With fear and trepidation, I come back to Paul. I'm not sure I can articulate it well. It sounds strange to want to be afraid. Um, But the knowledge of truth and right empowers the things of God in me to be at work. It devalues my lies that I believe and all the distractions and to be able to see God in truth which would be an all full thing as you say um, it might be scary you know yeah but I don't know like I said you can finish <laughs> While I'm in the back of the room. Somebody else want to weigh in? All right. All right. I think we have a tendency to uh, put God in a box and our relationship with him in a box. And this challenges me to realize that there's no box that can hold God. That uh, my relationship to him has to... Uh, stretch beyond anything I'm capable of doing on my own Uh, that any preconceptions I have about it are not going to be enough that I've always got to be stretching and growing there is no place you can get to in a relationship with a holy God that is enough that there's always more that we have to stretch for there's just no limit to it thank you
All right. There's a whole lot about all this I don't know. It's kind of mysterious what these next few weeks are going to look like. And uh, I, want, I really want to hear some of the story of what God's doing with you and in you and to you and, and the impact that's having uh, about you. So there's a lot I don't know and there's a lot I'm looking forward to. But here's what I do know. I want to live God's story. I love Isaiah's story. And it's got a lot of ups and downs, a lot of hard stuff in there. But it's a God story. I love Jeremiah's story. A lot of hard things in Jeremiah's story. But it's a God story. I love Moses' story. I, I'm, I'm coming to love the story that God is writing with my life. I haven't always liked it. Some of it has been, you know, down uh, trails of experiences that I didn't really want to have. Do you want to go deeper with Him? Do you want to know Him? Do you want to have His story? Will you? Will you pray about today's message on holiness? Will you discuss today's message and and the other things that have uh, been crafted as part of your small group experience in your share group this week? Uh, it's always important for us to be able to get together and say, hey, here's what's going on with me, and will you pray for me, and so on like that. We, you know, we value those things to happen in our group, but especially will you carve out some time and put yourself forward and speak out and talk about some of these things? And will you make a commitment to go deeper with God? I am not going to be the same after this next four weeks. We're going to have a special gathering on Saturday, October 16, to kind of solidify all of this in our lives. I am not going to be the same after October 16. What about you? Let's pray. Lord, we sense that this is a holy moment. Consecrated for decision, for response, for commitment. And we pray for grace and strength from you to be able to respond well to this holy moment. Lord, give us grace and strength to say yes to whatever you're calling for from our lives. Like Isaiah said, yes. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.